You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 524 for June 3rd, 2020. On today's show, keyboardist Eric Deutsch. This show exists because listeners become members. As a matter of fact, the food on our table exists because listeners become members. So please become one today for $5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Eric Deutsch has a really great new album out called Live at Lunatico. Deutsch, welcome back to the Jazz Session. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. It's my pleasure. You are here because we're talking about a brand new live record called Live at Lunatico, which I didn't realize I needed until I listened to it. And then it was like a pure injection of joy from start to finish. And uh, at the risk of using the cliche now more than ever, now more than ever, I found it an incredibly enjoyable album to listen to and listen to it a bunch of times since I received it from you. So uh, thanks, because sometimes it's good to be reminded that it's possible to just make like unabashedly happy music that is fun to listen to. And uh, this was a real good reminder of that. So I loved it. That's my hardball opening for you. Wow, thanks, man. That's that's really really nice. Uh, that's a great compliment, and and that's exactly what I kind of hope when we recorded it, when we put together the tracks that would make the final record, and when I ultimately decided that it was time to release it. Once we got into quarantine here, it seemed like a good time. So I'm glad that that that's exactly what I was hoping for with anyone who listened to it. You know, that that would be the the ultimate goal. So thanks for saying that. And it sounds like my reaction to the recording was pretty similar to how people were reacting at the venue over the life of this band playing there. Like, it seemed like it was a real marriage made in heaven to hear you describe it in the, the notes. Yeah, it, um, it was kind of like a perfect storm where just felt the venue opened around 2014. 
And it's owned by the three uh, wonderful musicians, Richard Julian, Arthur Kell, and Rosina Kess. And they're all a little, uh, they're all, they all have a little different uh, style to what they do musically. Um, Arthur's a jazz bass player, very successful in Europe over the last few decades. Uh, Richard Julian is a center songwriter, I'd say. He has the band with Nora Jones, The Little Willies. So he's a little, he's a little more of an Americana artist than a jazz artist. Um, Rosita is from Rome, and she's a songwriter in the center, but she's kind of been a, in a little bit more of a world music tilt, I'd say. So there's a couple of different places, but they're all New York cats. They've been they've been in New York a long time. They bought the building a while back, and that side sat on it. And then when the time was right, they opened the club. And uh, I, I I've been telling everybody it's just really fortunate because in my first ten years in New York, I was lucky then to find wonderful venues that that supported me and supported my music. But after those 10 years, I kind of just around there, not exactly 10 years, but around that point, a decade in, I looked back and I realized that they were all closed and I've been on the road a lot there in that, in that, in that era, um, getting to my first decade in New York. And all of a sudden I wasn't sure where to play. And I remember even, you know, in, in that, that doesn't include me playing with other folks, working in other bands. I you know, had plenty of work in New York. It was great. But for my music, what was the home? What was the ideal spot? And it, it just kind of coincided serendipitously with Lunatico opening. So as Lunatico opened and we went in there and we played, we realized, wow, not only is it, is it a, a great spot, you can, uh, you can make enough money to pay a pretty large band there. You can be treated really well. Uh, you can be fed well. You can play two sets, which always isn't the case, uh, which often isn't the case in New York. And that's a really nice thing when you're trying to stretch out on jazz music to get that second set to, to, to you know, to settle in. Finally, what I how I describe it is that my music sits in between the jazz world and jam world. You know, I'm like, I, I've got a lot of history in jazz. I've got a lot of history in jam bands on, amongst other things my original music tends to sit in the middle where it, right when you think it's it's jazz, it becomes a little jammy, and right when you a, a jam band guy might be comfortable with it, I'm going to play a ballad or do something a little different. So it takes a certain kind of audience uh, willing to, you know, willing to, to flow with that with that energy and those dynamics. And Lenonico just kind of provided that for us right away, and, it, uh, and it's been consistent ever since.
I hope you'll forgive me for comparing Live at Lunatico to other things, but I just wanted to give you two kind of touchstones that occurred to me while I was listening to it. Um, so I'm 46 years old, and, and at the age of 46, about a month ago, I finally, after trying several times over the last however many, 30 years probably, I finally found an emotional connection to the music of the Grateful Dead, and I have gone down over the last month, I guess, this extremely deep rabbit hole of <laughs> Grateful Dead music. And so I have been listening to almost nothing except, you know, jam music um, okay. and long extended improvised jams over grooves for the last four weeks. I listened to a lot of music like that before that. It just didn't include the dead. And but in these last four weeks, it's been incredibly intense. And so other than the albums I've listened to for this show, that's pretty much been all I've listened to. So when you sent this album, it was right at the beginning as as that was happening. And then I've kind of dipped back into it as that's been going on. And I found that there's just this beautiful like cross-pollination between where my brain is at because of all this Grateful Dead music I've been listening to, and then where this album is at because of what you were just talking about, that that kind of crossover feeling between the jazz world and the jam world, which I don't think are super, you know, far apart <laughs> to begin with. And then another touchstone that uh, that this really reminded me of, and it didn't really even remind me of it sonically so much as uh, in terms of feeling or spiritually, was the live album that Cannonball Adderley's band did for Operation Breadbasket, where they they played Walk Tall, like Jesse Jackson opens it up, and um, they play Country Preacher and a, a bunch of other things that are like kind of extended jams and are in front of an extremely appreciative crowd and are there particularly to be like uh, elements of joy in, you know, a world that isn't always <laughs> conducive to that. And both of those things, the the kind of extended Grateful Dead listening and that what is my favorite Cannonball record uh, really kept coming to mind as I was hearing this. And again, I just want to be clear that I'm not saying that this this music, your music is derivative of those, but just that those were things that I felt like that they were all kind of a piece, like swirling around in my listening and in my in my brain. I'm not sure what I expect you to say to any of that, but I just wanted to offer it to you as <laughs> what I was thinking about while listening to this album. Man, that's, you know, that those are great compliments. I mean, the Grateful Dead as an institution is almost unparalleled in American music. You know what I mean? It just, it, 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 it is what it is. It's not for everybody, but as an institution, it is just epic. And the cannonball, I mean, come on, that's, I think I kind of would call Cannonball kind of underrated, I guess, at this point. It's just so important. His music, it's so good. It's just good music. And, I, you know, it's funny because when I think a, a um, predicament that jazz music has found itself in is, you know, I don't know what caused it exactly, but over the last 10, 15 years, maybe 20 years, it kind of became more and more kind of a niche thing, you know, where I think more people thought they weren't into jazz. It's easier for someone to say, I'm not really into jazz, than being like, yeah, I like jazz a little bit, you know? I, I, yeah, I dig it, you know? It was kind of, it kind of became a particular thing. 
And I think that music like Cannonball's live album that you mentioned, and his, you've got another, that live in New York one with Yusuf Latisse is another example of a great live album. I think music like that is, is music that everyone likes. And somehow sticking the jazz label on it or being like, you know, if you said, did you, hey, do you want to listen to some jazz right now? People are, just, you know, a lot of times going to be like, eh. <laughs> Maybe not, you know, I, I don't know why. I, that's just my. That's what I've I've seen. You know, so I think that the music, like the cannibal music, is music for everyone to enjoy. And I think that it, it, what I, what I like about it, and what I think that I do aspire to do the same in my group, is to um, present music that's not only um, intellectual and thoughtful, you know, in its composition, but energetic and uber creative in its improvisational elements and groovy and funky in its, in its, uh, beat, you know, not always, but just in, in a wide sense of the, of the word groovy and then, um, fun, <laughs> you know, fun. And that's kind of, a, it's, it's a dumb word, fun, you know, it's just a little word. But it is important in music, and especially live music. was that I, in the big picture, I spent like my 20s in Boulder, Colorado, and studying with my mentor, Art Landy, where I really kind of focused on intellectual deepness uh, in my music. I, you know, just for lack of, just we're going into it any more than we need to. Something along those lines. I kind of went for the deeper stuff. I really went into the harmonical and the rhythmic and the compositional and just trying to, trying to really deepen my approach and my offering, you know? Because as a teenager and a kid, I was a rock and roller. My dad was into blues. I was really into the Grateful Dead from about ages 16 to 19. When I came to New York, I was 29 years old. That was in 2005. And right away, I, I joined Charlie Hunter's band, pretty right away, about a year later. And three years of Charlie Hunter... I really soaked in, you know, a lot of what he had to offer, obviously, because I was in his trio for three years, and we all we did was play, and it was amazing. And he's a, he's a genius. But I just really saw the joy and the groove and the energy of what he, how he approached jazz music, which he probably wouldn't call his music, but I think it is. It, it really affected me, and it made me realize that as much as I want to play concerts where people sit and and listen, and you play beautifully, and you play quiet, and you can do everything you want to do, and you can stretch, and you can be, you can be weird, and you can, um, you can be free. 
Since I wanted to do that, I did also want to be able to play in a bar where people could bob their head. You know, I, I wanted to accomplish that. With this band, I think it took me, you know, it took me about, I was in Charlie's band from 07 to 09. So it's taking me a, a good amount of time to kind of hone that sound into what I wanted, how it intersected with my original compositions. But with this band on Live at Lunatico, it's the same band that I had on my record, Falling Flowers, from, that came out a couple of years ago. So the band's more or less been together for five years. Um, the bass chair shifts around, but everybody else has been the same. It just occurred to me, it's like, when I make records, I, I just, not on purpose, but they kind of end up being kind of compositional. They, they tend to, I think, be a showcase for my tunes. My tunes aren't straight jazz tunes. They're not straight anything tunes. They're just my tunes. And I think that when we went to play live, I, with this specific band, I, said, I thought to myself, I remember this, thinking that I wanted to present something kind of jazzy and fun, kind of, kind of in an homage to late hard bop into the 70s, CTI kind of music, electric piano, funky jazz music that's not really totally considered super hip these days, but is an important era of, of jazz, a, a time when, you know, when it's kind of psychedelic, electric, kind of funky, and really open and explore, explorative or exploratory, which is a better word is for that. Jazz Session is the first and oldest jazz interview podcast. For 13 years and more than 500 episodes, I've been helping musicians tell their stories and making a massive archive of the people who make this music we love. If you value that mission and want to support it, please become a member today for $5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. You'll get bonus shows, early access to every episode, and more. That's thejazzsession.com slash join. Thanks. Now back to the show. did was I, I brought in covers um, by Art Pepper and Horace Silver and Hoagie Carmichael and Vince Garaldi and uh, John Poltrain and a bunch of different things. A Beatles cover that I kind of um, I hijacked from Grant Green. And we, I brought in like some Latin flavors, you know, because that was kind of a, that was kind of a staple of the seventies. You get the electric piano, you get the Latin kind of Latin grooves. And I thought, why not try a little bit of this? I'm not, you know, I think it's fun for the audience. That's what we did at Lunatico. And after we made Falling Flowers and we were releasing the record, we had the two-night show at Lunatico for the CD release. And I just thought, man, let's record this thing and try to get some of these covers down because I kind of knew I would never probably put those covers on an album. Maybe one, you know, but most likely they're not going to make an album. So I thought, you know, I've never done a live record. I'm not sure people totally know what to expect of me in a live setting. 
especially fans of mine out in uh, Colorado, and you don't get to see my band, my New York band. That's where that's how I came to it. So you're not far off. I did have the Grateful Dead roots in me, and that's kind of how I got into jazz deeply. Was to the Dead, just to, just to circle that back around. So uh, that does that does that help explain that that connection from my end? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think we should definitely, uh, at this point, talk about who's on this record with you. I mean, it's just a stellar band. And, you know, this particular combination of musicians is what lifts this music up. So uh, tell us about the band and who's in it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Tony Mason is on drums. Tony was in Charlie Hunter's trio with me. We became really tight. And I just realized around then, right, it was around 2008 when we joined, I realized that that was absolutely the drummer that I wanted to play with in my band. And ever since, he's been my guy. He recorded on Devonia Teclado and Outlaw Jazz and Falling Flowers. So we've really done a lot of mileage together. On guitar is Avi Bortnik. And Avi, I've been playing with a long time as well. He's an amazing guitarist. He's the guitar player for John Schofield's Uber Jam uh, Quartet. Now, for, I think, coming up on 20 years, maybe, or maybe they've already had their 20-year anniversary. Anyone will tell you this, and Avi would, 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 would agree. There's lots of good guitar players in New York. There's only one Avi Bortnick when it comes to rhythm guitar. He's the best. And, you know, that's something, rhythm guitar is something you don't think of in jazz music. You know, you kind of, when, when someone says, hey, you like rhythm guitar, you think like Stones, ACDC, Maybe, you know, back into Sam Cooke or like kind of kind of Motown era, that kind of thing. But Avi has a really great way of playing perfect parts, always perfect rhythms, along with his amazing textures and solos. So he brings a really happening thing to the groove of the band. On the horns, Brian Dry is a trombonist that plays in the band. He's fantastic. He uh, and I met in the late 90s when I was invited to a jam session in the, in the Beach Village when I was visiting New York from Boulder around 98, 99. And Mike McGinnis is a saxophonist and clarinetist on this record. He and I have been playing together for since I moved to New York. He was in my first projects, played on my record Hush Money from 2009, and it's just been a great, great sidekick companion for me you know he's been he's been fantastic finally on bass Fred Cash and as I said the bass chair has has moved around Jeff Hill played bass for years with me he was uh, out in the road and busy um, a lot the last few years so Jesse Murphy joined and played on Fallen Flowers and Fred Cash who uh, was was also someone who really uh, just uh, I admired and uh, looked up to, was able to get him in the mix. And with Jeff and Jesse living upstate and being really busy, Fred's in city, Fred learned the music, was on a lot of gigs, and we were fortunate to have him on this recording. He's a force of nature. That's the only way I could describe him. So that's the band. They're, they're fantastic. And it just it's hard to do in New York, but it really means a lot to keep the same group of guys together. And I, I thank them and and tip my hat to them for making themselves available for these these gigs because Brian Drive, for instance, plays in Hadestown and has since it opened a uber popular show on Broadway that won all the every Tony basically and the Grammy and everything. Tony Mason's also in that now. And those guys when I when I 
say, hey, can we do Lunatico on this Friday? They they take off their Broadway gig and they come to the sh- to the gig. So they it's it's a credit to them for for keeping the lineup together. You know, even after all these years of uh, doing this show and being involved in the jazz world, and I still find people who. I really should know about or should know better and who just kind of smack me upside the head as musicians when I hear them in some setting. The one for me on this record uh, was Mike McGinnis, who I, certainly I've heard about and um, I guess I've heard you know on a record or two, but just was not as familiar with him as I should be. And everybody on this record is amazing, but to me, he was like just a revelation. I mean, especially his clarinet work, like the clarinet over the rest of the kind of electric, you know, jam sound of this band was a combination that I found both surprising and incredibly thrilling. And I just, every time he plays on this album, it's just something that makes you like completely stop and dial in a hundred percent so uh i just wanted to give him some recorded kudos uh because i thought he sounded amazing on this album That's really, really sweet. That makes me, I'm, I'm literally grinning ear to ear. Mike, I love Mike like a brother. I'm so proud of him. And he's, he's come, he's really come into his own. Um, he shedded the clarinet very hard in the last five years. And he did that, I think, well, I mean, he, I, I know he always wanted to be a, you know, better clarinet. And clarinet's very difficult. And there's fewer cats that are good at it. You know, as as good at it as uh, saxophone in the jazz medium, let's put it that way. But um, Mike had a special project with Steve Swallow and Art Landy, Art being the, my mentor that I mentioned uh, earlier, Swallow being a legendary bass player. And Mike had a had a, 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 a two records come out with those guys as a trio, bass, piano, and clarinet. And it really um, propelled him to really work on that clarinet, take it to the next level or a couple levels more. And, uh, and I think it shows. And I gotta say that what you mentioned, the, the, the uh, pairing of that in the, in the rock, kind of psychedelic rock and jazz context, it's not easy. Um, number one, because of the volume, because we'll, we'll play loud. We play loud as Luna and Co. This isn't a quiet, it's not a quiet band. Um, you know, loud enough that the owners are, are consistently telling us, guys, really? Can you go a little? Can you, can you dial it down? So, but, um, you know, and that's a testament to Mike to just, he, Mike's not the kind of guy to be like, hey, you know, it's a little hard to clear, clear it up. He just really, he just goes for it. And I know that he, that he's going to be happy because he's told me that he thinks that this record um, showcases some of his favorite playing of 
that, that he's heard him, you know, some of his favorite stuff, some of his best solos or whatever, you know. So I know he's happy with it. That's, that's really good that you acknowledge it. I appreciate it. And I guess that speaks to, and I'm probably about to butcher his name, but uh, Rob, is it Badenoch? Yeah, Badenoch, yeah. Because as you mentioned, the like getting things like the clarinet to come through clearly uh, really speaks to the I guess the recording and mixer mixing and mastering that Rob did for this record because everything is it's so possible to hear what everybody is doing all the time and that's uh, I guess oh. a testament to his work. Then. Yeah, it's it's kind of shocking how good he, of a job he did. He has a rig that's about the size of it's it's like a rolling um, rack mount kind of vibe you know what you know what that for those yeah who don't know it's like a, the size of a, a box you know a couple of boxes stacked on top of each other with wheels on the bottom you know and and he he rolls that thing in sets it up on a corner mics up the entire band and his car actually broke down on the way to the gig in new of jersey course. so you know it's a, he's got a little photo of his minivan on the side of uh side of the road trying to get in the holland tunnel i believe and he uh he shows up and he sets the thing up and we didn't really even sound check. Um, the gig starts at eight. We showed up around, I showed up around five, started setting up and brought a lot of stuff, but Worley and Gaffio, a couple amps. So we kind of stacked with gear on that little stage. And basically we just kind of went for it and he kept, he got it from the first track. And we were fortunate to, that Lunatico offered us two nights, which is, um, prime real estate there i'm not i'm not sure anyone else has ever done it i'm maybe somebody but i'm pretty positive we were the first ones to do it and the two nights allowed us to to have that first night where there's a million wires and you're just kind of like settling in and you you know you're thinking about the recording a little bit maybe in your head so you know maybe you're trying a little too hard sometimes and and then the second night just showed up and uh and, and blew it down and i think i think if there's Eight, I think there's nine tracks on the record. I think eight of them were from night two. And we did double up and play something twice, not everything. But, but yeah, most of it came from night two. Uh, another crazy thing was that I was actually moving out of my loft in New York the morning of night two. So I got up at 8 a.m. that morning, packed up the whole thing, and then went and did the second gig. So I was in a kind of a crazy zone. And after 15 years... That was the end of my, my only apartment I ever had in New York and was actually, so kind of my last local New York stand. You know what I mean? So it was because it was you moved to Mexico life. city, right? Yeah, we moved, we moved to Mexico city. That was kind of a meaningful send off. And Rob is a fantastic job. So tell me about that. Tell me about the decision to move. Um, we are kind of, uh, we're both in, in Mexico. If you go back far enough in history, cause I'm in Tucson, um, and uh, tell me about your decision to, to move and what that's been like. Yeah, we are not far from each other. You're right. Tucson is pretty much, for anyone who's ever been there, it's pretty pretty darn close to being Mexico. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's about as close as you can get without being in it. Um, I came here in 07 with Charlie Hunter and played a weekend at Zinco Jazz, a great club in the Zocalo, in the, in the El Centro, the square of, of, uh, in the downtown of Mexico City. And I just couldn't believe how electric uh, the city was, 
how beautiful the people were, how fun it was, how good the food was, the weather, you know what I mean? The whole thing. It just blew me away that that existed so close to America. That's kind of the whole deal with Mexico in general. You know, it's like if I said to you, what if I told you, you know, there's a country with weather, as, you know, as good as anywhere in the world, with beaches as beautiful as Hawaii, with food as good as Italy, with art as 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 good as France, you know, with people as nice as Brazil, you know, it's basically the perfect country and it's lying and it's cheap and it's sitting right on the border of, of America. I think a lot of Americans would be like, what are you talking about? That place is, that place is, <laughs> a, you know, that place is a waste, waste zone, you know, wasteland or whatever they think it is. The, the, the thing is, is that with the music, I was just shocked at how um, electric it was down here, how good the audiences were. And I, made it a personal mission to connect with folks that I met the first time, stay connected, and to come back with my band. And um, let me be clear, I made that a personal mission of like every country I went to <laughs> around that era. <laughs> Charlie, Charlie took me around the whole world, and that was my first time. I, I had traveled on my own, but I hadn't had the pleasure of touring worldwide when I met until I joined Charlie's band. That was really the floodgates opened. And with Charlie, we spent entire years in Europe and Asia and you know, we were in Turkey. And we were in Israel. We were around then. I joined a Spanish band through connections, you know, that I made in that. And so just a lot of beautiful things happened worldwide. And I tried to, to dig into the Europe folks that I met. And, I, and I'm, I'm a guy who's pretty good at, at making friends, let's say, you know. I mean, when I'm in, like, Slovenia in Maribor during the Jazz Fest. I, um, hey, I meet if I meet the promoter and he's cool. We I remember we we hung, we had beers, we went out. You know, we stayed in touch. The tricky thing was, my estimation is um, that all happened around 08, 09, 2010. It was basically 08 to 2012. And in my estimation, that was kind of the time when Europe kind of pumped the brakes on giving uh, money to lesser-known American jazz musicians. So the situation I always ran into was that I could, I could get a gig in, in Zagreb. I could, I could get a night, but I couldn't really get that, that festival to say, yeah, we're going we're gonna to give you the money to fly your band over to that anchor date that makes those tours possible. And um, I've always been kind of a guerrilla tour guy. I'm, I'm totally keen and capable of putting together my own tours. I don't need a, uh, an agent, you know, or, or I don't, I like, I love one, but I don't have to have one. But um, it was just at a time when Europe kind of started to have a little financial difficulties and what, what followed was, uh, you know, uh, recession, and especially in Spain and Italy and Greece and Portugal. And uh, the whole, it just seemed like the festivals were like, eh, if we're going to, we have to, if we're going to spend big money, we're going to have to do it on somebody who's guaranteed to you know bring out fans. That makes sense. Sure. So when I put, put it all together, where I'm heading with this is that Mexico, I saw that as possible. It just wasn't saturated with American bands at that point, especially. And I made the connection with a certain chap who uh, who had hosted us with Charlie Hunter down here that weekend, and we stayed friends, and he helped me come back, and we became good friends. I, I had success every time I came back at Sell Out the Jazz Club, and, and uh, little by little, things grew. I started a radio show in Guadalajara through another uh, connection I made through my friend Blas, 
and Sarah Valenzuela. Sarah Valenzuela was the, the lady in Guadalajara who started my radio show with me. And that's been going about five years. So basically my Mexican stock was building and building. And when Victoria and I uh, got married, we decided to get married in, in San Miguel de Allende in the mountains here. And our Mexican love affair continued. And then finally, our New York time came to an end. Our apartment was ready to uh, to kind of move into another phase. We had new owners. They were trying to get us out. And um, I was working always on the road. And I just, we just thought, hey, do you think we could actually uh, kind of home base it in Mexico? And just, I just fly for my gigs, you know? Because I was in Leftover Salmon, which was a very um, steady gig. And that band is based in Colorado. And Colorado's not too far from Mexico City. And we were mostly on the West Coast, which is also closer here than from New York. And sure enough, we, uh, you know, pulled it all together and uh, moved the, the old Steinway down here with all the keyboards and the amps and guitars, and, and we're, uh, we're situated. quick break to thank the folks who make this show possible, starting with the members who support the jazz session and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music and Dave Rabel for the logo. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. Hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow the jazz session on Twitter at J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, Jazz Sesh, and on Instagram at the Jazz Session. Take a second right now to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really improves my ability to reach new listeners. And you can keep up to date on my podcasts, my poetry, and more by subscribing to my newsletter, which comes out every two weeks. Go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. Now back to the episode. Okay, so we've uh, talked about the new live album, which is live at Lenatico, which is fabulous. We've talked about the move to Mexico. We've talked about the kind of cross-pollination of the jam and jazz worlds and the rock world. And uh, apparently never one to uh, settle or to uh, keep your horizons at their current state. You have made another recent uh, musical move that I just learned about and think is fascinating. Uh, Tell me about that. Well, um, I got a, a nice call uh, around January, and you know, as a in my position as a sideman, that I, where I've done a lot of different styles, every now and then you get a call, that, or you get a nibble. I call them nibbles, or you hear that somebody might call you about a gig. And um, I had heard about this one through my friend Sean Hutchinson. He said, "Hey, the Dixie Chicks, um, I got a new album that's got a lot of cool keyboards on it, produced by Jack Antonoff, who's a." 
He's a very modern, hip producer. He's fantastic. He's got a keyboard synthesizer sense to him, for sure. And so I said, would you, would you want that? And I said, well, I'm definitely interested. Let's, let's you know, put, put me in the, in the hat. And a couple months later, in January, I got the call. And you know it's a good call when they just say, hey, you want to join the Dixie Chicks? <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> because I've, I've seen enough of them that, and I've had, you know, most of them don't work out and a lot of them, or some of them are, are auditions of things that get kind of strange, you know, and sure enough, they, they, they just call and say, hey, do you want to you join the Dixie Chicks and uh, come on tour this year for a new album? And I said, I, that sounds pretty cool. And so we went out to LA and I played with them for about eight days. They've got a killer new album. It is really good. It's their first album in 15 years, I believe. And their last one won just about every Grammy, and this one is um, is very personal, very intense, very modern. Not a country record by any means, but you know, with a with a distinct uh, flavor of the Dixie Chicks, but in a, in a modern setting. So, went out there, had a great time, love the music, love the people. It's a great organization, great people. I think anyone who's ever worked for, I'll tell you that same thing. You know, with sat with a lot of sadness and remorse, I told Lifter for Sam and it's just something I needed to do, I thought. And uh, once we once we checked it out in LA, Lifter for Sam understood. And after four years in that band, and I hope there'll be more playing with, with them because they're my family. Um, I'm, I really hope it'll happen soon. You know, I got ready to uh, head out with the Vicky Chicks for a massive thing, which <laughs> is not going to happen, obviously. At this moment, it was funny, I played one song. I played, I played one song live. We played on Ellen DeGeneres, and we were going to fly to New York to do some more stuff. And then um, when that was right when the quarantine kind of kicked in. So I've been in Mexico City ever since. I'm just going to look forward to that tour for the new album, Gaslighter, whatever that happens. It'll, it'll be a blast, I'm sure. <laughs> My guest in this episode has been Eric Deutsch. His new live album is called Live at Lunatico, and uh, it's one of the most fun things I've heard in years, and I recommend it to uh, all of your attention, so pick up a copy. Eric, it's just been a pleasure talking to you. I'm really I'm glad to hear so many great things happening for you, and uh, just wish you all the best, and I look forward to having you back on the show. Man, thank you so much. It's a pleasure every time we get to talk, and I do uh, very much appreciate you taking the time to talk and to all the compliments and the time you put in to listen to the record. So thanks again. If you value what you just heard, become a member for five or ten dollars a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Thanks to my guest this week, Eric Deutsch. The next show features drummer Chad Taylor, so come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the jazz session. Bye. Bye. Bye.